What, what is, is happening, happening, everyone? Welcome, Welcome into another, another episode of Cheap Seats Chatter. Today, I'm your host, David Gillespie. Gillespie. Joining me in on the podcast is Alex Clark, Matthias Altman Kurosaki, a.k.a. Mac, and we've got Ryan Splash Potts on the podcast. Uh, before, before we get into it, it I want to ask, uh, how, how are we doing today, guys? We've got a lot on our plates right now with the, the, uh, the playoffs getting crazier as we're getting down to uh, the, the final stretch. And obviously the Hall of Fame announced last couple, you know, the, uh, announced this past week, rather. Uh, so how are we doing in the meantime, guys, uh, over on your ends? Yeah, uh, just closing out the second week of classes here. Um, you know, it's the weather's been nicer lately. Uh Luckily, the the rain has, for the most part, held off here. So, yeah, we're 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 doing solid uh, over here. Got to hear it. Yeah, you guys here is Uh, just doing well. I'm just currently adding Edward Cabrera to my fantasy squad, so he can strike <laughs> out 25 Braves tomorrow afternoon. So I'm just vibing over here. All righty, glad, glad to hear. It. How about you, Alex? That, How you doing? That, that is the best description I've ever heard for I'm just vibing. I thank you for that splash. <laughs> just vibing. Um, I, I'm doing pretty good, honestly, right now. The wild card race is absolutely incredible. I got to go to the game yesterday where Settle beat the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, so, you know, feeling good, but also knowing what today is. Again, these episodes recorded day in advance. But knowing what today kind of is always does bring a, a very much a somber tone yeah. to basically anything going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just, just to build, build on, on that, we want to begin on the, the, uh, this, this podcast uh, uh, discussing what took place, of course, uh, uh, 20 years ago uh, in our country. country uh, arguably the most, if not one of the most devastating attacks on our country that we've ever witnessed in our in our entire history of the United States of America. Uh, I think we all know what we're talking about when we say the words 9-11. Uh, where four, four planes were hijacked, resulting in the deaths of nearly 3,000 people, including uh, two uh, the Twin Towers in New York City, downtown New York City, uh, uh, targeted by two planes that uh, uh, took down not only the people within the plane, but, the, uh, but several people inside the building. Uh, just an absolutely devastating moment in our country. Again, 20 years ago today, um, New York teams this year are going to be... Uh, Paying, paying their respect to what took place 20 years ago, ago um, by, by, by donning jerseys that, that, that are going to be special in their own rights um, on that particular day with New York emblazoned across their chests for both the Yankees and the Mets. Um, they'll also have the option of wearing uh, first responder hats as well, just like they did back in 2001, uh, shortly when they returned home to uh, to, to, uh, shortly when they returned to, to action in their home stadiums, uh, just a little over a week, which is just almost uh, just astonishing to think about that. Just a little over a week, they returned to action um, in light of what took place, um, and and it just it, it just was an incredibly uh, uh, crazy time in our country at that point. And, and, and you know, we were all so young when this all took place. I was only seven years of age. Alex, you were the same. Uh, uh, you, you know, know Mac, Mac and, and Splash, Splash, you guys were incredibly young. young. I, what, what do you recall of, of what you've learned about, you know, maybe, maybe like what, what, what you learned about at that time or, or what you learned about, you know, fast forwarding a couple years later in terms of the impact that that had on our country that day and, and, and how sports kind of responded in such a galvanizing fashion. Um, just, just a short, short time after it took place uh, based on what, again, what you've learned uh, uh, since then. I mean, so for me, obviously, this is like, it really does hit close to home for me. Um, I am a lifelong New Yorker. 
Um, you know, for me, I, I was only 17 months old, but I have four older siblings who were conscious. Um, they were all already, you know, my oldest brother was in eighth grade. My second oldest brother was in sixth grade. My sister was in fourth grade and my next brother was in second grade. And, uh, my dad, uh, had a meeting downtown, um, in the North tower. And he, um, he was running a little late because he dropped my siblings off at school. Um, the night before it had been heavy rain. He was late picking my, my siblings up from swimming slash diving practice. So he took them to school first. And because of that, he wasn't in the building when the plane got the plane hit it. Um, you know, for me, this is like, you know, it's crazy thinking about like, man, I was that close to losing my dad. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, every, every year it's, it's really, it's hard to think about like, wow, like that, that could have changed my life mm-hmm. like forever, really. Um, and, um, you know, this, you know, it had a huge impact, obviously, like all over the country, honestly, all over the world, um, for the city, um, Bobby Valentine was in the the booth yesterday uh, in the Mets game, and he was talking about like, you know, the players, you know, they were they do they did everything to help out in the city, you know, both sides, um, you know, sports, um, you know. I here's the thing is that because I was 17 months old at the time, I didn't really, I was not, I don't have much of a recollection of this. In fact, I don't have any recollection of this. But from what I've heard is that sports became almost like a um, you know, a distraction for, you know, a country that was completely devastated. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to put into words, you know, um, man, I, I don't really have much else to say. That's the thing. Um, but you know, we, we can never forget this, um, you know, for the first responders, you know, thank them every day. Um, and we, you know, obviously we'll never forget those who, who we lost, Personally, for me, um, again, I was only seven years old when it happened. And, you know, as most kids at, you know, that age, we didn't quite know what was going on. Like, we knew something was probably wrong. I mean, for me personally, like, I went to daycare most of the time after school. And the fact that I was picked up by my mom that day, I was happy because I'm like, hey, cool, I don't have to go to daycare. Um, But seeing that, like, you know, she was crying. And I couldn't understand why. And, you know, we got the generic explaining to kids how a thing works of a bad thing happened and a lot of people are gone. I couldn't, I still wasn't like grasping it. Like, I'm like, well, why did it happen? And there just weren't answers, obviously. It's one of the, as I, especially now looking back now, again, as a, you know, guy in his mid late 20s, um, it's an event that has completely changed the course of not just Amer- as a American history, but world history, because it's something that the entire world like took notice of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that really has shaken what we all even know today. Like, there's still measures in place today, national security-wise, that are set because of 9-11, because of what had happened on that terrific day. Um, but... It's something that we're gonna, we just have to always keep in our hearts just to kind of remember. Um, 
one thing I do though say I'm I'm not gonna say I miss because it's really weird and is that is what happened on nine twelve, and it was a day that stores ran out of flags because everyone wanted to show that they were united with one another. Uh, people didn't care about class or race or religion or anything like that. It was about what had united us on that day as opposed mm-hmm. to what divided us. So 9-11 has done horrific things, but to see kind of what how people were able to respond afterwards is what I think still, even today, gives people hope. Yeah, yeah I, I, totally I totally echo, echo that sentiment you shared. That was, that was really, really well spoken, spoken um, Alex. Uh, what, what about you, Splash, in terms of what you uh, I've learned about from that day, uh, even though, of course, you were obviously incredibly young when that took place, and, and how you uh, processed um, the way we responded as a community and we responded as a sports community in particular. Yeah, so I was, I was just six months old, um, and my first real endeavor into 9-11 was... When I was in fifth grade, so uh, 2011, 2012, which is kind of dating me. But I was doing a presentation for 4-H about the 2001 Major League Baseball season. And I thought, yeah, that's going to be cool because I was born in 2001 and 2001's cool. And the Diamondbacks won the World Series. So that's going to be super exciting. And then I'm doing research for it. And it is the one baseball season that you you it's not just a baseball season it is a kind of it is for the entire country it is something much more than you know 162 games per team and a pl- three rounds of the playoffs it is a coming together it is a, a when george bush threw at the first pitch i believe of game three of the world series mm-hmm. there was no republicans there were there were no there were no republicans there were no democrats there were just americans uh when mike piazza hit a home run against the braves there were no mets fans there were no braves fans it was baseball fans and americans so it is integral to the story of baseball and how persevere how persevering the country is as a whole that something so horrific and so tragic can be met with people coming together, like Alex said, mm-hmm. and showing that one one moment does not define a country. It's how you respond to that moment that defines a country. So I think it's it was really powerful from the sports community that like usually I'd be really upset if the Braves a lot of home run, but it's it's one day that you're cheering no matter what. So that, that's um yeah. I I was gonna the one thing I was gonna add also is that you know, um in that first game back in New York um after nine eleven September twenty first two thousand one um you know that was the game you know Mike Piazza basically became the face of New York when he hit that home run and um you know before the game you know this is the Mets and Braves you know like heated rivals they are embracing before the game because you know it was more like you said splash i mean it was more than just you know a game and you know baseball really had to become you know they had to live up to what it what it's called you know the national past and it did um you know it it became 
you know, it, it wasn't just, you know, two teams playing against each other, you know, it was, you know, they were, they were all playing for, for a country that was, you know, trying to recover. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, beautiful, beautifully spoken uh, from, from each and every one of you on your, your thoughts and your memories of, of what uh, you've learned about from that day, what you experienced on that day, if you actually can process what, uh, you know, what you were able to experience, um, despite being so young, because again, we were all incredibly young at the time um uh when that when that occurred um but just yeah i think you guys again hit the nail right on the head with how it you know it was such a devastating day but i think you know if there's anything to take as a positive since that day um is that we, we kind of were able to remind ourselves how we can find a way to come together and how we can find you know that we all can you know uh, unite as one in some way shape or form, whether it's, it's, it's finding a way to escape it or finding a way to come together as a community and help those that were impacted negatively by this incident, um, uh, you know, as everyone was really, honestly. Um, and so I think just to be able to see that, uh, again, that, that unification, that, um, that coming together, that, uh, uh, the cohesion collectively as a community was just beautiful to see and um you know the the, the mets and yankees i think are, are trying to do that uh, as they take part in their second game of their subway series um today uh, um in, in their way to paying respect for those who who, who uh, lost their lives on 9-11 they're of course like i said going to be in, in game two of this series uh, they're going to be donning the special jerseys um, with the, the American flag on the uh, emblem on the back. Um, they also have uh, the managers of the 2001 teams at that time um, who had just been coming off uh, an appearance in the World Series together with Bobby Valentin and Joe Torre throwing out the first pitch. Um, so it's just going to be, I think, a special moment of just unification and just bringing everyone together and reminding us that uh, we can find a way to, to come together even at our most uh, harrowing time in our country. So... Uh, just, just an incredible, incredible um, uh, uh, response, I think, you know, you know everyone, everyone obviously remembers that Mike Piazza iconic home run at the bottom of the eighth against the Atlanta Braves um, in their first game back at City Field um, uh, since Shea Stadium, or, um, Shea Stadium, excuse me, my mistake. Um, Previous stadium, of course. Um, yeah, uh, since that, that incident. But I also wanted to say, too, with, with Mac, uh, thank goodness, I think we speak for everyone when, when I say thank goodness that your, your father wasn't involved in that um, at that time. And, that you know, that close call, uh, thankfully, uh, you know, he's still uh, with you today um, and, and um, didn't have to be one of those unfortunate uh, people who, of course, uh, had their lives cost by that, again, Devastating situation, but um, let's let's, let's transition transition to. Um, can I say, if you don't mind, David, can I say one more thing on? Yeah, no uh, worries. Just one last thing on them before we go forward. Um, yeah, go ahead. If there was ever any doubt about sports' ability to bring people together, I think mm -hmm. the events of what happened after and I love the first games back really showcase that. You guys brought up the the incredible example of Piazza's home run that, I mean, that was 20 years ago and mm -hmm. we're still talking about it. Mm -hmm. And um, one other one that I will always remember just because again, hometown for me was um, not too long after when baseball came back after nine 11, the Seattle Mariners won the division in the year that they won 116 games. And um, one of the things that's most, proud about that day that they won the division i think it may have actually been on the first or second day after coming back to baseball um they 
didn't do like your normal celebration that you see when a team clinches. They did a very somber ceremony where Mike Cameron and Mark McLemore, instead of carrying around like a team flag, they carried the American flag. And mm-hmm. they got the entire team around the mound as the two of them them held the flag and then everyone took a knee to pay their respects to what had happened. Yes, it was one of like this was an amazing moment in Mariner history again of you know clinching a division and all that fun stuff. But the fact that you had an entire stadium of people that all had that mm-hmm. in what uh, normally would have been a time of great celebration was one of somberness and one of reflection mm-hmm. as everybody took took their knees. They everybody was down and saying their prime their like silent words of, of, I don't, I don't want to bring religion, but of maybe even of prayer mm-hmm. of just remembrance yeah. of everything that had happened. And um, like, I still even had, they actually made a bobblehead of the moment. And it's one of my prized possessions because it really does show that moment of, you know, sports really can give people hope. Mm-hmm. It's major. It may be just a game. Like at the end of the day, whoever won the 2008 World Series, yeah, it happened. Woo. And whoever won yesterday, woo, yeah, it's a game. But if you've ever wondered about how important sports are to a community, to a society, right there is where you point them to. Because yeah. that is what has given people so much hope and so much drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah Pia- Piazza's Piazza home run is certainly iconic. iconic. It gives me goosebumps just thinking, thinking about it and what it meant to uh, the. the um, uh, the country as a whole, and what it meant to New York in particular, just to see that way of escaping. Again, I think, you know, how traumatic, traumatic it was, the situation. Um, and, and furthermore, too, I remember, you know, I, I might say, you know, when I was young, I grew up, I, uh, idolizing Sam Sosa, seeing him uh, hit a home run um, uh, while waving the American flag uh, as he's rounding the bases uh, around the same time. It, it just, again, gives you goosebumps to see that, 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 that support, that, um, that, you know, paying, paying homage, homage uh, um, that, that, we, that we see, that homage paid, I should say, that we see um, from those just, just just saying, hey, like, we're here for you, we're pulling for you, you know, it just, it, it really resonates uh, tremendously, and I think, again, we need that escape uh, some way to just, so we can find a way to process and get over this this, this negative situation, and, and, and that's exactly what I think sports is a great job of, of being able to create. So uh, never, ever forget 9-11 for sure, and especially not today with this being the 20th uh, year anniversary. Uh, but yeah, I want to transition to some lighter news now. Uh, Hall of Fame week this last week. Crazy, crazy week. I mean, a lot to talk about, but uh, with the Hall of Fame in particular, before we get into the wildcard talk, which we know it's going to get even more, more even crazy far, far crazier um let's let's, let's talk about, about the class of 2020. 2020 there was no class of 2021 this year so there's just the class of 2020 of course uh, that was not inducted last year due to the global pandemic uh so uh this class of course including Derek jeter shortstop for the new york yankees we've got ted simmons iconic catcher who played for the uh st louis cardinals and the milwaukee brewers and then larry walker finally getting in on his 10th and final year on the regular ballot uh, before the, the veterans committee would have ultimately had to elect him in. I'm so happy for him to see him get in there. Of course, the legendary right fielder played out, of course, field for the Colorado Rockies back in the 90s and, and also played for the Expos as well and in the twilight of his career for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, and then finally, Marvin Miller, who I, I, I think a lot of people should really do the research on if in case you don't know much about him. Uh, first ever executive director of the MLB Players Union uh, brought a lot of revolutionary uh, practices into 
uh, uh, what we now see in Major League Baseball today in terms of how it functions, how it operates, what's the relationship between the players and the owners. Uh, just incredible, incredible work to see what he was able to accomplish. What did, what did you guys, guys make of the fanfare? What did you guys make of these guys finally getting in? And Larry Walker, too, of course, on his 10th, finally on the ballot. So I want to kind of start this off and say that I'm very happy that Larry Walker is in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Derek Jeter was a, a foregone conclusion. Yeah. There is perhaps no one in the history of baseball that is more likely to be inducted into the Hall of Fame outside of, I don't know, maybe Mariano Rivera. Like, I... I feel convinced that more people would vote for Jeter than Ruth Williams, Gehrig, etc. But Larry Walker is a guy that in his career, you have the seven gold gloves. You have a bevy of all-star games. You have the 1997 MVP. You have batting titles. You have on base titles, slugging titles, OPS titles. And he wasn't getting traction in the Hall of Fame. I saw a tweet the other day and there was one year he had maybe a 10, 11% of the vote. And he climbs his way, you know, 60%, 65%. Then he gets 75% in his last year. And I, I I know he's, as a whole, his career might be lost eventually to the Aarons of the world, the Ruths of the world, the other tremendous right fielders, because I think there's 27 of them in the Hall of Fame. But Larry Walker was an incredible player one of the most well-rounded outfielders of his generation a rocket launcher of an arm one of the best fielders and this isn't even a oh he won seven gold gloves thing because Derek Jeter won plenty of gold gloves and he was one of the worst defensive players to ever live <laughs> so that's a story for another time but that's Larry cool, Walker, <laughs> yeah Larry Walker is the definition of a five-tool player and uh I'm very happy that Canada's own is in the hall of fame yeah, it wasn't always easy for Larry Walker. I mean, he wasn't even – he was not drafted. Uh, he played a lot of hockey growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, there, were t- there were talks that he would play professional hockey. Um, and, you know, he it's not like he was like a super highly touted prospect for a while. And then, you know, when he, he broke in, uh, he he started hitting. I mean, he, he was a great player in Montreal. That's the thing is a lot of people remember him for his days – in Colorado, but he was also very good for the Expos. And, you know, had it not been for the Expos and their financial issues, who knows, he could have maybe stayed with the with the Expos. But, I mean, yeah, he had a fantastic career. I thought he was very underrated. Um, like you said, I, I mean, I'm really happy he got in. Um, I think it gives uh, hope to players, you know, like Todd Hilton, who yeah. mainly played their careers for mm-hmm. the Rockies because, you know, it shows that, you know, it's – you know, even like Mile High Denver, you know, to do even if you're playing there to do what Larry Walker did uh, during his time there is still impressive. I mean, he played 10 years in Colorado. His cumulative OPS was 1044. I mean, that's insane to do that over a 10 year stretch. That's mm-hmm. I, I think the one of the I'm trying to think of the other players who have done that. I mean, I know I'm sure Pujols did that and Barry Bonds, but like. That's insane. Um, and then, obviously, Derek Jeter. I'm very happy for Derek Jeter. Um, you know, obviously, think, you know, as a Mets fan, it was very hard to root for Derek Jeter ever because he was on the A. But he was a player that everyone looked up to. I mean, I think every kid in my area, uh, heck, every kid, probably around most kids around the country wanted to be like Derek Jeter, you know, playing shortstop. Um, you know, I, I hate saying this, but winning a lot of World Series. Um, he 
got five World Series rings. Um, he was. It's it's crazy that you know he never won an MVP. Mm-hmm. Now, he heck he never even won a batting title, but he was just consistently great. Um, his defense was lackluster. You know, sure by the by the metrics show that he was not that great of a defensive shortstop, but. You know, that jump throw, as inefficient mm-hmm. as it may have been, it was iconic. And I, yeah. I would be lying. I said I tweeted this. I'd be lying if I said I'd never tried doing that because I I even did that. Heck, uh, some Little League coaches, we would do drills, and they'd be like, yeah, try try do the Jeter jump throw. And so, I, I mean, I was terrible at it. But, you know, it became iconic, and, you know, he was an iconic player. Um, you know, he. I feel like, you know, so I, I didn't get to watch much of Larry Walker growing up because, you know, heck, I was born in 2000. He retired in 2005, but I watched a ton of Derek Jeter and I just, you know, I, even as a Mets fan, I, I looked up to him, man. So I, I, and I watched, I was able to catch the back end of his speech. It was, it was fantastic. So really happy for both those guys, happy for Ted Simmons also. And um, I sure as heck hope that there is a class of 2022 next year. I was, I was hoping, hoping you were going to say uh, that, that you were practicing. Your coach got you to practice the uh, uh, catch he made against the Red Sox, where he's leaping into foul territory. That'd be a great way to destroy my entire body. Yeah. 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 Maybe I should have done that. Uh, that's, that's a way too damn Who needs a neck? It's all good. No worries. Get a couple scuffs, a couple broken neck, a couple broken bones. You're all good. What about you? Broken necks. Yeah. What about you, Alex? What did you take away from this whole thing, class? All right, so I was thinking about this a lot because, like, of course the main focus of all of this is Derek Jeter. I mean, no disrespect to Larry Walker, no disrespect to Marvin Miller, no disrespect to Ted Simmons. Again, but this Hall of Fame ceremony really was about Derek Jeter. And I I think I may have found a good comparison. I don't know. Derek Jeter is very much like a Goldberg from the wrestling industry where he hmm. was an I- he was an icon because he did so many great things he was a marvel to withhold and he was something that people always found a way to root for even though really if you actually analyze what he did didn't really do a whole lot of good stuff in fact actually most of goldberg's matches were pretty bad but you just look and he's someone that you rally around <laughs> that's what jeter was jeter was someone that he became a face of baseball he became a face of the Yankees. And when you thought of baseball, a lot of the times you look at Derek Jeter. There are better defensive shortstops, but yet we see all the kids going out and doing the jump throw or making the joke of potentially jumping into the stands and breaking one of their multiple necks. But <laughs> it's just... <sighs> this class is really good because also I love Larry Walker. Larry mm-hmm. Walker is someone who really deserved to be in there. He's almost the almost kind of the opposite of what Jeter was in a way, where he was a tremendous hitter, also a great fielder and all that. But you know, he didn't get the fanfare, especially since he played in Colorado. And so it's kind of funny because of this one, it really is a tale of two very different types of players. On that, I don't. I honestly will say I do not know a whole ton about Marvin Miller or Ted Simmons. Otherwise, I would talk more on them. But for this one, really, I do think Jeter definitely deserves it. Mm-hmm. Just for the sole fact of not even stats wise, when you look at the Hall of Fame, it's the Hall of Fame, and there are very few famous players quite like Derek Jeter. Jeter was the one that, when you thought of baseball, you thought of number two. There you, there you go. go. Not in that way. Not in that way. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> 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 that took me a little bit for a second to get that. 
I was like, wow, you actually went there, didn't you? really did. I really did. Okay, I'm sorry. No disrespect to Jeter, but it's really. I'll tell you, I'll do the PA now so they just to make it a little bit easier. And the Yankees, the shortstop, number two, Derek Jeter. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, Bob Shepard. That's the thing is Bob Shepard. Uh, so when the Yankees moved to uh, the new Yankee Stadium, Bob Shepard was no longer the PA announcer, but Derek Jeter kept the recording of yeah. Bob Shepard reading yep. it out loud, mm-hmm. which was awesome in my opinion. Yeah, no, I remember, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, and I remember uh, shortly after uh, Shepard passed away, uh, Jeter was in the All Star Game at Angel Stadium, and they played Bob Shepard announcing yep. Derek Jeter's name, which was. Awesome. I, I I mean, it was just, it was iconic. Everybody knew the the voice, you know, number mm-hmm. two. Yeah, it was just, it, it was amazing. That, that was fantastic. Not, not, not bad, bad of an impression. impression. You know, I, 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 I can hear, hear a little, little bit of a shepherd in that, in that, uh, that, that Alex Clark, Clark voice. So, so I got to tip your hat to, uh, <laughs> to the, 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 the impressionist that you are. I did a full season of work for the California Winter League, and my co-partner for commentating was – a big Yankee guy that loved the voice, and he would do that uh, when he, when it was his turn to do PA. Mm-hmm. So I got to hear him do it. I I practiced it a little bit too. So yeah. it, kind it kind of reminds, reminds me a little bit about the, the, the guy from NFL film, film, Sean Fresenu. Pro football, oh, yeah. you know, you know they, they call it the quarterback. quarterback. You know, he kind of reminds me of that iconic, you know, resonating voice that really sounds similar to that. That you can just easily remember who that is when you hear it. So. Just, just incredible, incredible, uh, incredible stuff from, from, uh, um, you know, uh, to see, you know, what Derek Jeter was able to accomplish throughout his career. Certainly he was the guy who was at the, the, the number one spotlight, um, um, out of this entire class. I mean, he was an icon. He was synonymous with baseball and for good reason. I mean, he was a five-time World Series champion for arguably the, the most decorated professional sports franchise in, uh, American history. Uh, the Yankees have won 27 World Series titles, a fifth of them almost, uh, or I, more than a sixth. Six of them, at least, uh, uh, were accounted for by, uh, um, you know, in part by Derek Jeter and what he was able to accomplish. Uh, just an iconic part. I mean, he can hit for contact. I think he's actually a very underrated power hitter. I know he only finished with 260 home runs. But uh, when he when he needed to hit for power, he could. And he showed that in the, 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 you know, the playoffs, obviously. Yeah, that iconic game four walk-off home run against the Diamondbacks uh, back in 2001. Um, you know, of course, those back-to-back home runs in Game 4 and Game 5 in 2000 where he ended up winning the MVP uh, over against, sadly, your New York Mets, Mr. Mack. Uh, that was a tough one, of course, I'm sure. But Jeter uh, just was just lights out and posting super, super clutch. Um, had so many iconic clutch moments. Uh, the guy, I mean, whenever a big moment came around, I mean, he had his... 3,000 hit was a home run. You know, his final hit of his career was a walk-off hit. He just seemed to capitalize on those moments to the utmost degree. degree. Uh, he's the all-time leader, by the way, in postseason hits, doubles, total bases, and runs scored. In MLB history, no one has more of those stats in any one of those than Derek Jeter. It's unbelievable to see what he was able to accomplish again in the postseason. I know a lot of people, this is, is, is on the field, uh, his uh, defensive play, but again, he had so many great... Displays of athleticism. Athleticism. We talked about that that run into the stands against the Red Sox in 2004. That 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 crazy over the the uh, shoulder throw. Um, you know that he had made early on in his career. And of course, that uh, uh, the iconic play, the most iconic play, arguably in Game Three of the 2001 ALDS against the Athletics with the flip um, to get Jeremy Jaffe out at home that kept the score one nothing Yankees in a series where they were trailing two nothing. 
So, so it, was, it, was it was just unbelievable to see what he was able to accomplish in the biggest moments of, 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 of baseball, and in, in particular in the postseason. Uh, uh, he just he just did everything he could possibly want from from uh, a player um, all around in his in his entire game. Um, so, so just, just an, an iconic for six all-time again in hits, um, so, so just really racked up in, uh, th- th- those numbers career-wise in terms of being able to, to reach base from, from establishing contact. Uh, certainly he was the icon, there's no doubt about that. And, and of course, what he, how he carried himself off the field. This is someone who was incredibly humble, this is someone who was incredibly selfless and, and thought about the team first and didn't find himself intertwined into scandals like you'd see from other players who, who weren't able to... Uh, uh, handled the, the, the limelight as positively as he could. So, just a, a, a great guy who, who absolutely uh, personified the game and and, the, the, and and furthermore in the right way. So, but but let's not like slight guys like Larry Walker. I know he played in Coors Field, but this guy was unbelievable what he was able to accomplish. Five, again, like you said, uh, Splash, a five-tool player hitting three thirteen all uh, lifetime, three hundred eighty-three home runs. He stole thirty bases one year too, so he was a great base dealer as well. Um, um, and, and, and he had a staggering 360 or higher from a, a batting average standpoint, standpoint three, three times in his career. There's, there's only two, two guys in the last 80 years who've done this, Wade Boggs and Tony Gwynn. So, so to be able to do that, uh, uh, you know, in the last uh, um, 80 years, it's just unbelievable to see what he was able to do as a hitter. And again, you know, just because he played in course field doesn't mean we should slight him. He can't control that. He had to go there. You know, he ended up going to Colorado to play there. We saw him thrive again in Montreal. We saw him even play pretty well, too, in St. Louis in the twilight of his career. Um, so I just think we, we absolutely need to to pay homage uh, for, for him and, and what he was able to do um, in his career. And, of course, won that MVP in 97 as well. Um, so, so just, just an incredible, incredible career. And joins Fergie Jenkins, Jenkins furthermore, too, as the second Canadian player inducted into Cooperstown. So uh, just a decorated career. And so happy he finally got in. In fact, it was kind of a crying shame that he had to wait as long as he did. Uh, and, and I wonder how much of that was the bias of playing in course field. But either way, it was just not respectful to have to make him wait that long because he was far better than his ballot ultimately indicated. Um, in terms of when he ended up getting in finally. And then Ted Simmons, of course, the iconic catcher for the, the Cardinals and the Brewers. Hit 285 lifetime with 2,400-plus hits. I uh, was also a, 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 an incredible, uh, um, uh, incredibly successful figure off the field, too, as a bench coach for the Padres. He was the general manager of the Pirates, actually. He was actually involved uh, uh, you know, with, with Barry Bonds before. Uh, he, was, he was the general manager in Barry Bonds' final season. As a, as, a, as, a, as a Pittsburgh Pirate before he left to the, the uh, San Francisco Giants. So he was very much involved um, from a front office standpoint, uh, as a coach, as a scout, too, for several teams. And, and, and I just don't think we need to uh, um, forget uh, uh, you know, what he was able to accomplish, and, you know, both as a, as a player and, and, again, as a mentor. He mentored a lot of guys in terms of, uh, you know, he was a student of the game. He really... He was able to teach a lot of guys how the game works and going through pitch sequences and, and just did a tremendous job mentoring guys. And then, of course, with Marvin Miller as the first ever executive director of the MLB Players Union, this is the guy who created the first CDA. You know, he secured pension funds for players. He increased salaries drastically. Yet, the impact that he was able to create for players, it continues to resonate to this day. A lot of, play, a lot of the players today... 
all, all the players, players in today's MLB should be thankful for what he was able to accomplish because he really pushed the envelope in terms of what players were allowed to, to in terms of the power that they had, in terms of what they could create. Uh, with, with their, their, their opportunity, opportunity um, to, to make money and to uh, dictate where they want to play, like that iconic Kurt Flood case, where uh, uh, you know there was they finally put an end to the reserve clause, so that you could not be you know uh, uh, tied up and restrained by one team to play somewhere else if you wanted to when your contract was up, because at that time back in the '60s, you were basically hampered down by a contract. And, and you, you couldn't, couldn't dictate, dictate, even if it was up, where you, you wanted, wanted to play next. next. So, so for him to really help Kurt Flood, you know, by, by pushing the envelope against the, the MLB owners um, committee and, and, and just saying, hey, these players should be able to dictate where they want to go if they have the, the freedom to do so when they're not under contract. He, he really put a lot of that in place. So, uh, you know, let's not, you know, slight him as well. Uh, not so you guys are, but, you know, just in terms of the, those out there who, don't uh, um, who, who only want to think about this as Derek Jeter and as Larry Walker because these guys really uh, paved the way in terms of what they were able to do um, uh, in their own rights and in, in their own um, uh, positions uh, within Major League Baseball. Um, so and a tremendous class really bummed out that we didn't get to see a class 2021. I don't understand whatsoever how you could let a class. Yeah, I was I I wrote a whole thing back in the winter. I it, thought that was kind of ridiculous, but every year there should, should be a class. If you ask me, I think yeah. it's an absolute ridiculous crock to see that happen. Um, you, know, you know, there are plenty of guys who have been waiting years and years. I could go down the list, but I'm not going to do that. Um, there are plenty of guys out there who've been waiting to get in, and to see that happen and to see these guys have to wait even longer, it's not fair. Someone should get in every year. Uh, uh, no, no matter, matter what. what. This, this is just ridiculous. So hopefully they will write that wrong uh, going into next year. We won't have to see a repeated yeah. embarrassment. I just want to say, yeah. Go, Go ahead, Mac. Yeah. I, I just want to say one more quick thing about Jeter, which is that, uh, well, you, you mentioned the flip for a second. I mean, I think that just demonstrates, you know, the high baseball IQ he had mm -hmm. also. I mean, that was, I mean, because he, he knew that the, the cutoff throw wasn't going to be, you mm -hmm. know, good enough to you know, get Giambi in time. So he went up the first base line, you know, from the shortstop position. He was up mm -hmm. the first base line and flips home. And, you know, you could say also, you know, Giambi should have slid. You know, maybe he would have been safe if he did that. But, you know, it was a great play by Jeter. And also, mm -hmm. you know, for me, well, I mean, talking about other postseason things, I mean, he had 20 career postseason home runs in 158 postseason games, mm -hmm. but with a 308 career batting average. And yeah, yeah, you mentioned 200 hits in the postseason. That's absurd. I mean, that's basically mm -hmm. a full regular season's worth of games in the postseason. And he yeah. had phenomenal numbers that were honestly just as good as his career, his career numbers for the, his regular season. And uh, the last thing I was going to say on him was that he, you know, he wore number two. You know, for me, as a as a Mets fan, you know, I always wanted to wear number five because of David Wright. But for most of my friends who are Yankee fans, they all wanted to wear number two because, you know, that's the number Jeter wore. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he, he really was, you know, he was a role model uh, on the field and off the field. You saw him in commercials all the time. I mean, and, and it's, it's for good reason that kids looked up to him. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he, he was, was actually uh, the, the second most unanimous player to ever be elected to the MLB Hall of Fame. The first, of course, his teammate, actually, Mariano Rivera, um, who was elected just a couple years ago. So, um, 
I, I absolutely deserving to see him get in on the first ballot. I don't know if he should have been the most unanimous, but but he was certainly an icon and certainly a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he was one shy, one shy of unanimous. Yeah, yeah, he called he called out the writer in his speech. Yeah, yeah he, he did. He was like, you know, thanks to everyone except, except that one guy, you know, who didn't vote me in. So, but I think he was just playing. You know, it was an all good and fun. Just poking, you know, saying that in jest and just poking fun at the situation. Because again, he's a very humbling guy. He's not someone who, you know, was the cocky, brash person that you couldn't stand to be a teammate of. And you know, I have to say, I had to, even though he was a Yankee. Uh, I, you know, he had an iconic career, and I certainly admired the way he carried himself and how he played the game. Um, uh, and he's also a super underrated baser, by the way. I don't know if I said that, but a super underrated base runner. He stole 358 bases in his career, so that's something I think, you know, in terms of that complete, almost complete package, he really did, uh, uh, you know, have a lot of great attributes to his game that really, I think, helped him out um, and really bolstered his candidacy of why he was deserving to be the number one, uh, deserving to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But let's move on to the wild card race. It's getting crazier and crazier. We talked about it last week with the AL wild card in particular getting crazy. Uh, even the NL wild card's got its, its crazy moments too. Uh, but let's start off with the AL wild card with what's been taking place lately. Mike, what, what, what do you guys, guys make? This, this is insane. Red Sox and the Yankees currently in those spots to be in the wild card. But you got the A's, you got the Mariners, you got the Blue Jays. They're all right behind them within striking distance. Did, 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 did you guys' opinions change at all from last week in terms of how you see this playing out? What's going to happen right now as we get down to the final three weeks or so uh, of the 2021 season? Well, I just want to rattle these numbers off for our listeners. So the Rays are first in the AL, then Houston, then Chicago. And then here are the wildcard teams. Boston is plus one. Yankees hold the second wildcard spot. Blue Jays half game back, Oakland one game back, Seattle one game back. This is as tight of a race as I've seen in, you know, my 15 years or so of watching baseball. It, it is unreal how, you know, clumped together these teams are. And I I don't know every team's schedule like perfectly, but I do know that Seattle is playing Arizona right now. So there's a solid chance when you are listening to this podcast Seattle is tied for that last wild card spot. Shout out to Alex. And <laughs> whoop, whoop. yeah, I'm, I'm super excited that, you know, even I, I would have to say that the Yankees are probably the most talented of these teams, maybe Boston, but Boston, New York are probably the most talented of these teams. And Toronto is an exceptional group of talent. But no matter which two of these teams face off in early October in a winner take all, one of the dumbest things that baseball does. Whoever faces off in that game, it is going to be a world-class game. It's going to be, I think, a lot better than watching the Dodgers mow through some generic team from the National League East. Um, but hey, I'm. This is an incredibly exciting AL wild card race. Again, the Yankees are the two seed, are the two second wild card. Three teams behind them within one game. That could change within hours of this podcast going up. So. What a run! What a what like just what a race this has been all season. The ebbs and flows. The, you know the Red Sox run first for a long time. Now they've slipped down here. The Yankees won 13 in a row two weeks ago. Now they might be the worst team in baseball. Toronto is getting hot. Semyon is ha- has like 15 home runs in the last two weeks. Oakland, Seattle, as Seattle's been 
on fire in recent weeks. It, it's just been so exciting to watch. Just to add to that, once more. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean... You're not so, in I the mean, race yet. Yeah, I mean, not, not, the race, race isn't is done, done yet, yet Alex. Alex. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, oh, no, trust me. We, we, we know, um, as a Mets fan, I unfortunately know how quickly standings can change. Uh, yeah. Uh, what was it? As a Mariners uh, but... fan, I know how quickly standings can change. <laughs> oh, yeah, trust me. Um, but, you know, this this race is just, I mean, first of all, I, I want to give huge ups to the Mariners for, you know, they're still in it. Like, this was a team that most of us, you know, we they were projected probably, what, fourth, third or fourth maybe in the AL West. I mean, I had them winning – 75 to 80 games. All right. They are 77 and 64. And the fact that this is mid-September and they are one game back of a wild card spot is just absolutely amazing. I mean, they've, they've come out of nowhere this year, I think. And, you know, a lot of people thought 2022 would be the year. I mean, if this is what it looks like and they're a year ahead of schedule, man, I can only imagine what next year will be like. But anyway, focusing on the present, I – I can honestly, I cannot believe that what's go- what's going on in the Bronx right now. I mean, this is it is hard to believe that in the span of a month, the Yankees have won 13 games in a row and then proceeded to look just horrendous these last two weeks. I mean, they just got swept by the Blue Jays um, in a four game series at home, and then yesterday against the Mets, they just looked horrid. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Uh, you know, Bob in the first inning, Javier Baez singles to left field, and Joey Gallo has Jonathan VR beat probably by a country mile. And somehow Gary Sanchez missed the tag. And then, you know, later in the middle of the yeah, – so in the in the bottom of the third inning, the Mets scored five runs and only hit one ball out of – I only got one hit that was out of the infield because uh, – you know, Jordan Montgomery lost the strike zone, and then Gio Urshela made a, you know, all right, it wasn't a great throw hole, but Gary Sanchez just completely missed it. And then later in the game, Glaber Torres threw away a double play ball that allowed two runs to score. I mean, the Yankees just looked like a mess out there, and I honestly can't believe that this is the same team that was just short a short while ago the hottest team in baseball. I mean, the so I mean the Red Sox this haven't. I mean, I saw the Red Sox play last week, and it was not pretty. Uh, I, I was at the game. They lost, I believe, it was eleven to five to the Indians. So I mean, they they've showed signs of weakness too. Um, Oakland has been up and down lately. I think the team to really look out for is Toronto. Um, Toronto, as I, I know, run differential is kind of a weird stat, but they have the best run differential uh, of those contending teams, and their their offense is heated up again. Uh, Guerrero is playing great. Semyon, Bichette. Basically, everybody in that lineup is hitting, and um, that pitching staff has really, really t- uh, made great strides. I know that he had a rough night yesterday, but Robbie Ray is a Cy Young contender. Ryu's been very strong lately. Steven Matt is starting to pitch like uh, pitch pretty well. Alec Manoa has been pretty strong. Uh, Jordan Romano has been fantastic at the back end of the pen. Jose Barrios has been good. I really think that Toronto, you know, they were my pick to win the AL pennant before the season. I think if they make the playoffs – it's actually a very real possibility that they end up in the World Series. So I have a, one nugget from that Yankees Jays series. That you mentioned the Yankees got swept. Yes, they didn't lead for any 
point in that series. The last time the Yankees were swept in a four-game series at home without leading, they weren't the Yankees. The Ottoman Empire was a thing, and um, we were sitting in the 1900s, ladies and gentlemen. Like not not even like the 1940s, 50s. This is one nine zero zero. It has been more than 100. It had been more than 110 years since the Yankees were swept like they were against Toronto. So it is one of the more, I don't want to say cowardly, but one of the biggest. What the heck are you doing moments in Yankees history that just getting clobbered in a situation that you control your own destiny. If you win one of those games, Toronto is not as much of a threat in the wild card race and you're good. You'd be, I believe, tied with Boston right now. But they just kind of laid down, died, run after run after run to the bullpen. I had rolled his Chapman in fantasy. He got cut from someone else. I pick him up. He allows a couple runs. I cut him. So what are you doing? What are you doing, New York? What are you doing? <laughs> what about you, Alex? How are you feeling about your Mariners right now? They're right in it, man. It's it's getting down to the, the – it really is getting down to the wire. To be a bit of a meme head here, I basically made the joke that I was looking at the wild card standings last night after the Mariners beat the Diamondbacks and said, it's beautiful. I've been staring at this for five hours. But <laughs> it it really is. No, I'm, I gotta be honest here. Um, I'm sitting here in a Kangaroo Jr. hoodie with a Kangaroo Jr. hat and I feel like a kid. Because this does not happen since I was a kid. We have not seen this team on such a momentous streak that since I was young. And I love seeing what this team is doing right now. They're finding ways to win. And basically, for lack of better terms, taking a suggestive gesture, because I don't want to say the actual thing, towards the idea of a run differential. You look at all the teams right now that currently are in this whole playoff race right now, and you take a look at their run differentials. The only team that really has a good chance at making a playoff team, like, they're only really, if you really want to get a little bit nitty-gritty with it, um, there are a grand total of three teams, really, that have a good chance of making the playoffs that have a negative run differential. The other two are in the National League, where it's the St. Louis Cardinals, who only are two games above 500, but are only three games back of the wild card, and the Philadelphia Phillies, who are who only are one game above 500 and three and a half back of the wild card. Those two teams are negative 24 and negative 23 in run differential. Seattle has a record of 77 and 64, 13 games above 500 with a negative 52 run differential. Take that Pythagorean wins. <laughs> anyway, I look at this and I just don't know how this team does it. I gotta be honest. The only explanation I really have for this team is that they are, they are the team that has the chip on the, their shoulder. They are the underdog for every single game. And they have kept that mentality. You have players like Kyle Seager, who is angry about everything that has happened to him since the start of this season with the Kevin Mather discussions. 
then trading away Graveman, where he and supposedly they never said the names, but I mean, a lot of people know. more than likely it was Marco Gonzalez and Kyle Seeger that got angry about that. And they have been on a tear since then. Like they have found ways to win games and to increase their ability. Kyle Seeger may be only batting less than a handful above the Mendoza line. But he smashed 32 homers this season. I think 31 or 32 homers. He has a career high in that on this season. Then you have other players that are just itching their way through. Abraham Toro is becoming a star in the making. Where, again, he has gone on base in all but a handful of games since joining Seattle. And J.P. Crawford uh, is becoming that cornerstone shortstop this team has needed. This, he is a gold glove caliber shortstop that also can hit home runs all day long. I love it. I love seeing what this guy's doing. In fact, yesterday's game, he led off the game with a lefty-lefty bomb against Madison Bumgarner. That's impressive. This team finds ways to win in some of the most unlikely ways. The thing that I see here is that they win close games. They don't win games by four, five, six runs. They'll lose games by that much, but they will win games by one. Because remember, it only takes one. Yeah, it, it's. I, I'll, I'll tell you what, man. I'm starting, starting to get nervous about uh, how this wild card's playing out for my Red Sox, man. Because this is the worst timing for this to happen. Red Sox have been absolutely bit by COVID lately. Chris Sale expected to be out two starts at least uh, due to COVID. Xander Bogarts has made a stop on there. The, the numerous bullpen guys have made a stop on the, the, the COVID list as well. Kiki Hernandez too. Uh, you know, the list goes on. It's just it's been very, very costly for them to have to go through that. On top of the pitching really just being exposed because let's just face it, folks. It just hasn't been as good as it needed to be uh, for them to be taken seriously as a contender this year. And, and who knows? I mean, I'm not saying this is going to happen. But it, it could be, be uh, potentially costly enough uh, from their pitching to where they may not end up being in the wild card spot when the season's all said and done. Because again, you got the Blue Jays who just a half the game back from the Yankees right now, and then you got the Mariners right there in the Athletics. Uh, I'm still. What's that? I was gonna say, and on top of that, for your Bo Sox, you know who where they go to in just a couple of days? I believe it's uh, is it the uh, the Rays? I'm gonna say. Um, they will find the Boston Red Sox starting on the 13th of September. So, oh, that's right. Oh, the Bears. I'm sorry. Yeah, of course. They are going to be stepping into T-Mobile Park without the names that you just said against a team (laughs) that is nothing left to lose. I got to tell you, it's going to be, I'm going to be there on the final game of that series on Wednesday, September 15th. And that is going to be a matchup. Yeah, yeah I, if I, you if you told me before the season that in the middle of September, Red Sox Mariners would be a must watch series. Yeah, I would have thought you'd be you were crazy, but here we are. I, oh, I've been sniffing the glue. <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally, I totally looked at that. No, I, I, I knew that they were playing. I was actually supposed to get a ticket to go see the game on Wednesday, uh, but, but I got caught up with work and stuff, so um, I'm not going to be able to make it. But I will certainly have my eyes peeled onto the score and, and uh, find out what's going on. Because that is a must-win series for, for the Red Sox if they want to get themselves uh, uh, continuing on uh, um, to, to have momentum as, the, as a wild card spot. But I'm, I'm feeling nervous about that pitching rotation, that bullpen, sale being out too, who really is easily by far their best pitcher. 
pitcher, and, and, and I just don't feel as confident about the rest of the guys. Even Nathan Eovaldi's had a bounce back here, just it doesn't have the consistency I'd like to see. You look at the Yankees, they in their own right, too, have to be a little bit worried. They've lost seven straight, including two to Baltimore, and four game sweep to Toronto that was incredibly costly. And of course, the Mets last night in game one of the Subway Series. So they got a lot on their plate right now. They've really got a lead on John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge. I think those are going to be the two guys that really. Uh, uh, bolster their their chances of, of, of keeping that wild card spot because they've really been hot as of lately and I think if they can lean on that power and their contact over the next few games uh, as well as the health of the rotation uh, they should be good to go but again it's it's getting down to the wire it's it's absolutely getting down to the wire and you look at the other teams in the AO wild card with the A's their the bullpen has been an absolute mess as of lately Luis Trevino their star closer thirty one point nine one ERA over his last five appearances. That, that ain't good, good to say the least. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's, that's uh, not not good. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but they are astute observation there, Mac. Astute <laughs> observation. That's, that's all. That's all, all you need to say as a critic. That, that's, that's not good, and and, 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 and that's, that's that's all you need to know. know. That's, that's not good. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah. but yeah. But, but they're, they're, yeah, yeah, their bullpen, bullpen has just been absolute. They are getting Chris Bassett uh, back to the, the, the rotation hopefully soon. Uh, so that could certainly help them out. But again, they got a couple of Astros series coming up, so it's going to get tough down in the final stretch. And the Mariners, man, you know, winning two out of three against the Athletics late in August, two out of three over the Astros in early September. Uh, and, you know, they just got a W over the Diamondbacks last night with Tom Murphy going yard twice. They've been on an absolute tear. Ty France, man. That, that guy, 331 over his last 33 games with 393 OBP. So he's absolutely tearing it up for them, uh, uh, you know, as of lately. And, yeah, that uh, they got that big Boston series coming up shortly uh, later this week. Um, I, I don't know. You gave me started talking about – you gave me started talking about Ty France. And this podcast is going to be 15 hours long and you're going to need a monthly <laughs> subscription. Exactly. But then, there you go. I love the guy so much. He has been kicking so much. As, I'll say one thing on this as well. I'll say one thing on it because I don't want to drag this out too long. Jerry DePoto is a genius for the trade he made in 2020 with the San Diego Padres. Look at the trade that he made where he traded away Austin Nola, who is a decent catcher them but still also a bit old and two struggling relievers to get taylor trammell who is a speedy outfield that still gives good depth ty france who is now a becoming a star with seattle Luis torrens who is a great catching option with the team as well as andres muñoz who next year is they're thinking could be one of the best relievers on this team of on this team that their relieving core is already solid yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's just, just I'm, I'm just astonished, astonished to see what you guys have been able to accomplish. You have been, been this is a miraculous team. This is a magic, like, there's, there's a hint of magic somehow involved with this Mariners franchise this year because this is the unexpected, frankly. frankly. I did not see this coming at all whatsoever, uh, especially considering you guys' lineup, which isn't the most, wasn't the most inspirational going into this season, but you guys have absolutely held it down. You've been incredibly clutch, easily one of the clutchest teams in all of baseball. Uh, and, and, you know, you, know, you talked about Kyle Seeker. He, for one, has been a big reason why with his, you know, clutch, uh, uh, you know, execution um, in terms of hitting home runs down the, uh, the, the you know, the latter part of the uh, latter part of games numerous times. So I got to tip my hat to what you guys were able to accomplish this year. Uh, but let's move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. The, there's a, there is a word for it. Soto Mojo. Soto Mojo. There you go, baby. There you go. 
Uh, but, but the, the National League wildcard, man, let's not slight them whatsoever in terms of the race they've got going right now. Uh, you know, you talk about what the, the Padres are right now currently in one of the driver's seats, along with, of course, the Dodgers, and beyond the Dodgers and the Giants. Looks like it's going to probably be the Dodgers moving forward, especially considering the fact that the Giants have, you know, you know have, you know, delivered that edge over the Dodgers in terms of maybe being the more valuable team right now in the regular season, just in terms of the regular season, considering they've won uh, their uh, one in that series in terms of their head-to-head matchup. But the Padres and Dodgers right now in the driver's seat, don't count out the Reds, though. They're right there in the mix, man. It's, it's you know, trailing by only like half a game right now from the Padres. Uh, what do you guys make of what the Reds have been able to accomplish uh, uh, nipping at the heels of the Padres, who would be probably the biggest shock of them all to not make the playoffs this year? I think, I think the Reds, man. Okay. Oh, go ahead, Splash. Yeah, I, I just want to point out the Reds are doing this without perhaps the best hitter in their entire lineup in uh, Jesse Winker. Like, it's why, well, I guess Votto exists now, but it is impressive that you miss one of the best hitters in the National League and for the last month or so, and you're keeping pace with a team as loaded as San Diego and you know, Luis Castillo has turned it around. He was abysmal for, I think, the first two, two and a half months, maybe even three months. And he's now a, a realistic, you know, if he's pitching in a playoff game, okay, the Reds aren't losing eight to nothing, right? So big turnaround from him. You know, Vladimir Gutierrez pitched well the other night. It's been a lot of solid. They've held it together. And Joey Votto has been unreal. He's having a year that's rivaling his you know 2010 mvp season he's he's not going to win mvp because probably fernando tatis is to lose at this point uh jonathan india is seemingly running away with national league rookie of the year um with another trevor rogers blow up start last night but just an incredible team and this is without jesse winker this is with mike moustakas who's been horrendous for most of the season or either injured or horrendous so just a really impressive effort from the Reds, even if they don't secure that fifth playoff spot in the NL. Just an incredibly impressive season. Certainly yeah, they've so. been, uh, they've been, uh, you know, I, I've obviously spoken very highly of the Reds in our past episodes, and you know, they actually went through a little bit of a rough stretch, um, mm-hmm. and they haven't been playing particularly well in September. Um, you know, they had a great month of uh, July and August, but. Um, you know, only four and five to start September, but at the same time, you know, I mean, yes, they also lost a ser- they lost consecutive series to the so they lost the series to the Cardinals, then they lost the series to the Tigers, and then they just lost the series to the Cubs. So they've lost three consecutive series. So that's not great, but you know, they still look like a formidable team in the NL. I think, you know, I, I'm really not sold on St. Louis. Um, and I know the Phillies are three and a half back, but the Phillies have been, the Phillies have just been inconsistent. You know, mm-hmm. they they won those eight games in a row. Then they, you know, go on and get swept by the Diamondbacks. Uh, you know, they, you know, they got swept by the Rays. They um, they recently lost the series to the Marlins. They've lost four in a row right now, uh, including getting drubbed eleven to two by the Rockies last night. And, you know, the Rockies are the worst road team in baseball. And they've already lost the first two games at home to, to you know, the worst road team in baseball. So I think the, the Phillies, I mean, Bryce Harper is, is doing everything he can to carry that team to the finish line. But they're fading. The Mets are only a half game behind them. 
The Braves, despite looking like they're tripping over themselves at almost every possible uh, opportunity, the Braves are also uh, ahead now. Uh, you know, the Braves are four and a half up on the Phillies in the in the NL East, five up on the Mets. Uh, I think it's crazy to think about it, but the Mets are actually closer to the wild card than they are to the uh, to the division crown. So, um, you know, all the talk will probably be about the AL wild card race, but I think uh, that second wild card race. I mean, obviously, the Dodgers, whoever wins the NL West, uh, whoever gets second the NL West will host the wild card game. But it's I'm really curious to see, uh, to see who will take the second wild card spot because mm-hmm. I think it's fair it's fair to say that who, the Dodgers or Giants will will have that first wild card spot. But who knows what's going to happen with that second one? What about you, Alex? Do you think this is in the bag for the Dodgers and the Padres to, to reel in the wild card spots? I think overall, when it comes to these teams, like the Dodgers are very much. Like, they're the team that's guaranteed, in my opinion. And I honestly still think they're going to win the World Series just because you look at what they have. I mean, it's good. I'm not going to say that I'm completely sold on San Diego winning it just because we see how close Cincinnati really is. And we're in the latter half of the final month. Well, actually, we're about to be in the latter latter half of the final month. There we go. I can speak. (laughs) It's anything really can happen. I mean, and that's what's interesting. I think that San Diego is the better team. Like, don't get me wrong. San Diego is the better team. So I think I'm going to pick them to win that second wild card spot. But, you know, if Seattle could still be in the wild card hunt, why can't Cincinnati? And I think Cincinnati's got some really good players. They've got a team that's there was a good time for a while. I remember back we were talking this back in August, I believe. And Cincinnati was like was really raging. They're racing up forward. And we were saying I I said I know myself said, you know, I don't think they have enough of it. I don't think I think they're just gonna fall off at the last minute here. And they're showing off that they're not really falling off they're still playing at a good level joey like uh like splash so eloquently put it joey vado exists again and i i I don't know like the mariners have that kind of magic i think there's some magic going on here with cincinnati i think they're gonna give it a ride you know, here I'm known for sometimes making bold predictions let's make a bold prediction right here we're gonna have a game 163 Okay. Between the Padres and the Reds to determine who goes and gets that second wild card spot. So, boom said it here first. Boom, yeah. Talk, Talk about bold. bold. I, I like the spice on that take there. there. I, that's I, what I'm talking honestly, about. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be too surprised. Yeah, that, that I, I actually hadn't even thought about that scenario. Um wow, I, I mean it, it's very possible. Um you, know, you also gotta look at the the strength of the schedules, I think, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um I know one team that has a relatively weak schedule down the stretch is the Phillies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Phillies right now are facing the Rockies, but like I said, they've lost the first two of that series. But then they get the Cubs. Then they have a big three-game set in Queens against the Mets. Um, and then they get the Orioles and the Pirates. And then they end the season with the Marlins. So the only like real contenders I would say that they're facing are the Mets and the Braves. So... It's going to be on them to see if they can capitalize on those weaker opponents because, 
You know, right now they're they're three and six in September. I mean, it's they've had a very uneven season. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they, if they are able to capitalize on their weaker schedule, maybe they have a chance because I know the Padres have to face the Dodgers right now. Um, yeah. And I really think also that NL West might come down to the final weekend of the uh, of the season because. I mean, it's only a two-and-a-half game separation. And one thing I will say on that race is that every time it seems like the Dodgers are getting hot, the Giants always respond with something just as good, if not better. So yeah. uh, that's going to be a wild race to watch because that will very much impact that wild card game. And trust me, just like Alex said, I still think the Dodgers are winning the World Series. So they just need to get into the playoffs for that for me to keep that pick alive. Yeah. yeah, and, and I, mean, I mean, I feel comfortable about the Dodgers, Dodgers you, know, you know, in terms of their their, their likelihood, whether they are in the wild card spot or the the, the divisional crown in the NL West. Either way, I can't I can't slight them whatsoever in terms of being that bona fide World Series contender. Their lineup is too stacked, the pitching rotation, the bullpen, all around. The Padres, though, I'm starting to sweat bullets here with them, man. It's not good. You know, they had a really bad month of August. A lot of their stars really took a significant hit in terms of being able to produce. You Darvish, in particular, the last six starts with a six five three. ERA uh, with five twelve uh, slugging as uh, slugging allowed to as of lately. I really struggled with his cutter and slider uh, over the, the last uh, few you know uh, appearances that he's made. Manny Machado as well. Uh, really, uh, you know, uh, struggled during the month of August. Just two thirty four. Adam Frazier's just been forgettable since he joined the, the San Diego Padres. A huge, huge disappointment since he's been arriving uh, into San Diego with zero home runs through 36 games and just a 246 uh, irrelevant average uh, uh, during his time there. So really unfortunate to see them go through that rough, especially in light of what Tati Jr. has been going through with that shoulder injury. So they really need to lean on those guys. To, to, to really pick, pick it up and, and help compliment Tatis as he's, he's trying to find his rhythm as he's getting healthy again to uh, continue their their, their uh, standing as a, a potential wild card team because, again, the Reds are right there. It's less than half a game away, and, and they're coming, man. And, and you look at the schedule, you're talking about strength and schedule, Mac. Padres have a lot of tough schedule scheduling coming up. They got two more. They got a Giants Dodgers series coming up, and then they've got two more Giants series and another Dodgers series before the season's all said and done. So really, this team has to find their rhythm right now. This is going to be huge. These next two series against the Giants, uh, against the, uh, Giants and Dodgers, as they're already in the mix of the Dodgers series right now, they are going to be very, very pivotal. We talked about that Mariners series with the Red Sox. The, the, this, this, this upcoming stretch with the Padres is going to be the same thing because this Reds team, with them, you know, they've, they've got the favorable schedule. Now, I don't believe in them as much as the Padres considering how more well-rounded they are uh, and considering the fact that the Reds have a very significant liability in terms of million wins because of their bullpen and having T.J. Antone now out with his second Tommy John surgery. But, but still, still, that, that schedule, schedule, man, it's, it's in, in their favor. favor. It's in, in their favor. And Sonny Gray, in particular, the rotation has been pitching very well over his last seven starts, uh, which is the 165 opposing average allowed. So if they can just continue to uh, get in those wins against the, uh, that, that easy team, which is entirely feasible, um, uh, you know, Reds could have this in the bag, honestly. And it could be a huge surpriser. Um, so, so we'll see what happens, though. Of course, they got to get Jesse Winker back from that intercostal injury as he's still in the I.L. And I think that's going to be playing a major storyline uh, from here on out. But a crazy, crazy wildcard race in the NL with the Reds snipping at the heels of the Padres. And, of course, the A.L. wildcard with five different teams uh, in that race. So, guys, we're just getting into it, man. It's, it's, it's I mean, the adrenaline rush is hitting. For all of us, to, to say the least. So I'm eager to see what happens down the next couple of weeks. We're, we're going to start to see some playoff spots dictated 
over, over the next, next coming days, days most likely in terms of, uh, uh, as, you know, establishing that rhythm. That rhythm. Uh, going, going into October, October so, so I, I can't wait, guys. It's it's, it's going to be an absolute thrill. But uh, in the meantime, that'll do it for us here on uh, Cheap Seat Chatter. Hope you guys enjoyed listening in. Once again, I'm your host, David Gillespie. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time right here on Cheap Seat Chatter.